2: He wants you, he needs you, he loves you. Here comes the Spud Man. he goes down easy. Here comes the Spud
3: Man. It's the Spud Goodman Show. Let's get ready. Trumbo. And here he is, the head cheese
4: meister. It's woo. Spud. Goodman Greetings on ola I am Spud Goodman uh, oh,
5: Spudman. man uh,
4: I'm laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> Welcome to what some have called the most important radio show now on the air you know well uh, of those that are clearly not that important which I take is sort of a compliment, maybe not a line that you can make a promo ad with, but still, there have been way worse things said about this program, so I'm good with highlighting it. You know, I've learned in my career that if people don't throw stuff at you in public or send you threatening messages, then you must be doing something wrong. I did not get into this business to take the Ryan Seacrest route and get people to, you know, to pretend to to like me. Number one, I, I don't know if it's doable, but also because why would someone want to listen to a radio personality just spouting out what they think you want to hear? You know, I know there is a solid 7 to 9% of the listeners out there who crave something different. They want someone to annoy them, to, to make them want to slap the radio or their phone you know, during a show. To me, that is being an effective communicator. With that being said, I need to introduce our show's designated laugher, my and Dorothy. Can you give us a rousing chuckle?
6: Oh, I guess. <laughs> oh, was that rousing enough? Yeah, not really, but I'll move on oh, here and, okay. and now
4: introduce our show's temporary permanent co-host, Gerald Holcomb. I would advise you to take into consideration the show's needs before your own prior to saying anything. I mean, you you could do the right thing and say no comment so we can just get on with the show. Or you could take up valuable airtime babbling about who knows what. So what's your decision? Uh, uh, Well... Uh, welcome, everyone. My name is Gerald Holcomb,
7: and I'm ex- so, so excited for this episode yeah, and yeah. my opportunity to spend some time with everyone now listening. You are very important
4: to me. Okay, and do, do you I really think to- by kissing the butt of our listeners, you will gain anything by this? Have you ever dated a playmate? I refuse to answer. Uh, they're not that stupid. They can pick up on pandering. Well... And are I'm sure right now rightfully offended by your bootlicking yeah, no, I am not bootlicking whatever that means.
7: I'm just using my limited a lot of time to express my love and appreciation
4: for our listeners. They mean the world to me, and I want to promise- I have to say you're just embarrassing yourself by this well, you know brazen attempt to beg for the approval of our
6: listeners. oh yes, Gerald, this is a disgusting attempt to curry favor here and it's not only embarrassing no. to hear it's borderline criminal
7: mrs jarvitz what have i said that is a criminal offense
4: i'm innocent no you haven't you're a line dog-faced pony soldier
6: i'll leave it to our listeners to determine if your obsequiousness rose to the level of an actual crime but it was still very offensive to hear Can we now bring on the most popular person on this program? And no, Gerald, it is not you. Honey, are you ready?
3: I'm always ready, Dorothy. Are you going to introduce me as Spud obviously is threatened by my popularity and is trying to ghost me?
4: Uh, I could. I'm not trying to ghost
3: you, Chance. Mm. You're, You're the freaking intern on this show. Why would you threaten me? Maybe because people like me so much, and you... Not so much. That listener survey confirmed what I knew all along. No one likes you and pretty much you too, Gerald. I may be only an intern, as you say, Spud. But what does that say about you and Gerald? Besides being two washed up baby boomers.
6: Oh, I think you've made your point, sweetie. No need to gloat. You are better than that.
3: I know I am, Dorothy. Thank you for reminding me. Okay, I'm done for now.
4: Oh, good, because I need to bring up the topic I was going to discuss. It's something that seems to be on the minds of a lot of people these days. Uh, I think they call it triggering. Uh, for those who are not aware, you know, what this means. Oh, it's, it's actually- I am
7: so aware of what triggering is. It's something that okay. you, Spud, and all of your liberal socialist friends seem to feel whenever great American heroes like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates or, of course, the greatest living American himself, Donald J. Trump, express themselves. <laughs> no, that's not funny. I hope everyone knows that he will soon be returned to the White House once all of the votes are accurately counted in this country.
4: These guys, they make millions of dollars. They're smart as hell. You know, it's, it's like a year and a half or so since the election. What counting of the votes are you referring to? Well, if you read the real news out there,
7: you would know that there are still millions of uncounted votes of Trump supporters, which were just thrown out, mostly because some communist election official determined that an X instead of a full signature was not a valid ballot. Yeah, when did it become law that people need to be able to sign their full name? Maybe millions of people felt they had better things to do than go to some fancy college and maybe they forgot how to sign in cursive, which by the way is such a formal way to write. <laughs> What's wrong with a good old American X?
8: You stupid ignorant son of a b- dumb b-
4: I think a ballot is still valid with an X Signature as long as there's another registered voter that would sign to verify the identity of the voter. Yeah, okay, but you see, here is the problem. What
7: about if, like, husband and wife Trump supporters both used an X for their signature? Do you feel it's right that millions of these votes not get counted and that the ability to keep America great again is not happening? You see, now this really triggers me.
3: I will say what really triggers me when I'm not afforded the respect I am due being the most popular person on this radio show.
4: Yes! I have picked no, up on that over the last few months, Chance. I, Good. I, I hope you come to grips with it, as it's not going to change anytime soon.
6: Oh, babe, you can't win this one. Just let it go.
7: You know, actually, there are so many things that trigger me these days. I don't really know where to begin,
4: but how about oh, look, when the oh, liberal... Look, your, your bitch list will have to wait, okay? Because oh. right now I need to play some music. Uh, Let's lead off with this little tune by the Tumble Dryer Babies. Actually, you know, this band is just musician Andrew Moore of the U.K. But here is his song, Tell Me What to Do.
9: Could earn me a slice of the pie. I don't mind spending precious time just hanging around. Gladly bash my head against the wall of sound. Get down on my knees and I will kiss the ground beneath your feet. Rock and roll radio has come to. I'll stay by your side be it for good or ill To watch you do your thing is such a thrill To be whole Yes, yes, yes Rock and roll radio has come to this He hit me and it didn't really feel like a kiss But to question what you're doing wouldn't cross my mind Spud
1: Goodman
9: Goodman Show. Ah,
4: ah, 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 ah. This is the Spud Goodman Show. Hey, this is Jeff Foxworthy, and I've reached the pinnacle of my career. I'm on the Spud Goodman Show. All right.
7: Uh, Spud, your first guests, Lou Diamond Phillips and his daughter Gracie, are waiting to speak with you.
4: Okay. It's it's cool to have Lou back on the show. He's a good guest. Uh, I was not aware his daughter was also in the entertainment
6: industry and, until we set this thing up. Boy, Lou is a multi-talented guy. He directs and he also wrote a novel. Yeah. Remember, he mm-hmm. spoke about it the last time he was on.
4: Yeah, the guy is really talented. And, and, and I can ask his daughter, Gracie, what what's it like you know, having a famous father? Uh, I read she kept it low profile until recently. Uh, Put them through. Yeah, you got it. Here they are. Say hello to actor and director Lou Diamond Phillips. And with him is his daughter, actress Gracie Phillips. Welcome.
1: Thanks for having us, bud.
4: Hi. Hi. Well, let me ask you this. As as you... Who, both of you are now employed in the entertainment industry. Uh, do, do you find yourself sharing your on-the-job experiences now? How about, you know, how your day went on the set, How like how awesome the craft services table was that day, or how our particular director maybe got on your nerves, you know, or had poor hygiene habits, that kind of stuff?
10: Um, we talked quite a bit. Um, I've been modeling the last five years and really excited and happy to be back and acting. Um, But we do talk quite a bit, um, you know, about different sets and our days and that kind of thing. So it was cool to work alongside and, you know, be able to go back and forth um, when we weren't working, kind of just talking about all of it and giving feedback.
4: Uh-huh. Well, Grace, I wanted to ask you this. For some children of famous parents, they tend to keep it on the down low, if possible, growing up. You're in that camp. I know you've been asked this question a lot, but can you share why you made that decision?
10: Yeah, so when I started um, modeling five years ago, I I did see the negative feedback that other celebrity kids or, you know, if their family was, Kind of in the limelight. I did see negative feedback about people trying to discredit their hard work or saying they didn't they didn't earn it because of what they brought to the table, and it was just the name behind it. And so when I started um, in this industry, it's not that I didn't want to associate with my dad because I'm so proud of him and all of his accomplishments. I, I more so wanted to be able to to start and have people not be able to say that I got it based on anything other than myself. So that was really important to me and I, I did that for a couple of years and once I proved that to myself that, you know, it wasn't the name that was booking me these jobs and it was myself that, you know, it was something that I, I didn't really feel the
4: need to not talk about anymore okay all right well lou knowing what you do about the industry did, did you have a chat with gracie about how challenging establishing a career can be or did you just mostly just let let her explore that on her own
5: uh, you know no that's exactly why why i'm here i mean i at this place, first of all i never pushed her into anything uh you know i just wanted her to sort of follow her own instincts and and, and uh Knew that you know anybody that gets into this has to love it. They have to be passionate about it. So the, you can't you can't you know endow that you know with, to anybody. You, you they they have to find it for themselves. But when it was, when it came time to you know not only you know start auditioning or or going on her you know calls uh, to you know to agencies and whatnot for even modeling, you know I, I was there to give a little bit of support and a little bit of advice and and uh, you know uh, uh, answer answer questions when they were posed to me uh, um, and. It's very much. It's very much, you know, our relationship when it comes to to the film industry. You know, uh, uh, I, I try not to lecture her because, you know, if you, first of all, I mean, she said it before. I don't. I don't adjust a lot of her auditions. I just, you know, I make a, you know, a comment here or a comment there. Uh, because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You mm-hmm. know, the kid's got talent. She's mm-hmm. got chops, and and she's got a really good head on her shoulders. So. So, fortunately for me, I, I, I've never had to you know, turn around a careening bus or anything like
4: that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk directing. Uh, Lou, do you feel the position is more or less stressful, more or less stressful than, say, being a, a head coach in the NFL or NBA? In both jobs, you know you're going to get most, if not all, the blame, even you know, if the results are not optimal.
5: Uh, that's actually hilarious, man. Uh for, fortunately, they usually don't have you know uh, a dozen cameras on you you know uh, going out live during a game. Uh, uh, directors can, for the most part, be uh, be a little bit anonymous, uh, and and you can fix things you know that you know mistakes you might have made you know, in editing. But I, th- to say that though, it is still uh, a very very high stress job. Maybe even more so than the acting in some respects, because you are. Task not only with the artistic side but the business side. It's like you know mm-hmm. you, you can't go over budget, you can't go over time. You've got to maintain the schedule and all of that. And you're you know you're dealing with a multi-million dollar industry. I mean any any given uh, episode of television, even uh, not to mention feature films. But you know you're you're spending millions of dollars. If you have an army uh, at your behest. So uh, it's it's not something you get into lightly, and uh, uh, you can't just wing it, man. It's uh, it it requires training and experience and and a great deal of confidence
4: Mm -hmm. All right. well Gracie back to you do you enjoy auditions and and the whole process of being cast or or is it you know I'm just curious if it was a pleasant experience or or just total hell that's what I would think it would be but
10: no actually um, I do enjoy it especially with um, you know the pandemic everything is kind of turned into you know more self-tapes and and zoom casting so I actually prefer going in person because I feel like you can bring a lot more to a room. Mm-hmm. But I, it's also been not challenging, but I found myself, you know, with my tapes and and castings. You have to kind of bring a little bit more because they don't get to to see you in person. So that has been um, interesting, to say the least. But I'm looking forward to hopefully going back into person. Um, but. I I really don't think it's that stressful. I like to, with acting, be able to take on the character. And you know, I I do call up my dad sometimes and I'll play around with the role and kind of see how I want to deliver it and get his take on things. But it's really not too stressful. I think that's also because I grew up around it. Okay. So it's not something that I ever, you know, shied away from.
4: All right, okay, super.
7: Uh, Excuse me, Spud. What? Well, I have a on your question to Gracie. Now, I haven't shared this with anyone outside my family, but a couple of years ago, I, too, auditioned for a movie. I I shouldn't say I didn't get the part, but I will admit it was an extremely stressful experience for me. You know, with it being my first movie.
4: Hey, I'll be right back, you guys. What? You auditioned for a movie? Yeah. No way! I would have heard about this. What
6: movie would allow you to audition? Yes, Gerald. Are you referring to a movie with sound and actual actors? I don't believe you. Oh, it's true. You can ask my wife. They were shooting here in Seattle.
7: Like I said, I I didn't get the part, so of course I was very disappointed. And, you know, I haven't gone on an audition since then. What type of part did you audition for? It was as an extra. I was supposed to
4: be a hobo asking for a spare change on the street. You mean a homeless guy. Dude, I've told you before, hobo is not an appropriate term in 2022. Now just let me finish up the interview. I'm back. Well, let me close with this, and it's for both of you. Um, If you hadn't got into show business, what do you think you both would be doing right now career-wise?
10: Dad, do you want
5: to go first? (laughs) Sure. You know, it's funny. I mean, I I wanted to be a a writer first uh, before I wanted to be an actor. This was when I was like 12, 13, something like that. Uh, So, you know, if it hadn't been, you know, uh, uh, the performing arts... Uh, I'd be writing, you know, and and it's so funny. I mean, just you know what? a year and a half ago, my first novel got published, The Tinderbox Soldier of Indira, ah. and it did so incredibly well that uh, I'm almost finished with the sequel. So, you know, I, I might have committed myself to a life of writing. Uh, you know had I, had I not get it, gotten into the acting.
4: Okay. Super. Gracie?
10: Yeah, I think if it, if I wasn't in the this industry, I would probably, I'm really interested and still watch all the crime shows and stuff. So I I think maybe I would have been a criminal justice lawyer or something in that field. But I also really enjoy working with people and giving back. So although that's not my um, career per se, I do try to do that in my everyday life. Okay. So I do have a little bit of both going on.
4: All right. Well, thank you for that. I want to thank you both for coming on the show. Thank you.
10: Thank you. Uh,
5: thanks for having us. This is a, a fantastic conversation. Thank
4: you. All right, Mr. Lou Diamond Phillips and Gracie Phillips.
0: There's still more fun and excitement in store in the second half of the Spudgobin radio show right after this brief intermission. <laughs>
1: The scoffs from Seattle, Washington.
11: You're listening to Spud Goodman show.
1: Who? That guy sucks.
5: <laughs> I used to blame society <laughs> for every stupid little thing that went wrong. I never took a look at me to see that I was my
0: problem all alone. We now return to more action packed thrills and excitement on The Spud Goodman Radio Show hey, Spud, I know you and your
7: fellow socialist snowflakes are triggered by just going out the front door each day, but I would like to just state a few of the things that trigger me Gerald Holcomb. For instance, whenever you mention how dumb climate deniers are, you know, it's very hurtful to me and other people who believe climate change is just a hoax. It makes me feel inadequate to hear this said that on the very show that I work on, it has to be a violation of some sort of federal labor law. Uh, and also, when I hear you make fun of one of the great Americans among us today, Tom Selick, for example... Huh. Uh, Wow. Just just trying to help out millions of senior citizens by advising them to get a reverse mortgage. I don't think so. It upsets me as he only wants what's best for them. I know when I'm on a fixed income someday, I will be the first in line to get one myself. And sure, my kids probably won't be happy, but my wife and I never plan to leave them our house anyway. So, you know, when the time comes, Uh, another thing that really upsets
4: me is when. If I may interrupt for just a moment. Can I ask how long your list of stuff that triggers you is? It I mean, will. we only have so much time, and I think the others on this show should have an opportunity to share what triggers them, too. Don't be a trigger hog, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
6: Yes, Gerald, don't be so self centered. The earth does not revolve around you, whether it's flat or round.
7: Well, that question still needs to be resolved. But listen, I have wanted to have this overall discussion of what triggers me for a long time. I kept a lot of things bottled up over the years that I've worked on this
10: show. I think the reason why is I've just been like so unhappy.
3: I would just like to add here, I am the only millennial on this show. I should be at the top of the list to share what triggers me. I mean, I am the future. You two old white guys are about as relevant as a DVD player.
6: Uh, Honey, um, maybe you should keep your trigger list close to your vest for now and reveal it at a more opportune moment, as I'm thinking this is not the right moment.
3: Dorothy, my list is pretty long. Maybe it would be best if I wait for another time to get into it. I will just say, though, if I hear the words with that being said on this show again... I just might start throwing furniture around. Not like a desk, but maybe a folding chair or two. You make the move. It's move.
6: Good to know, babe. I will try and make sure everyone is aware of what your feelings are with that term. I know I sure won't ever say it again.
3: Thank you. It's a phrase the academic advisor at my community college uses every time I ask him when I can finally graduate. There always seems to be some issue that needs to be resolved. When I challenge him that I've been there way too long, he always throws in that stupid, with that being said, before he says, I still am not eligible to graduate. It makes me very angry.
6: And Corn Pop was a bad dude. Sweetie, do you want me to speak with him? I can make it clear that saying that phrase could prompt you to do something Let's just say unfortunate.
3: No, I'll handle it, but thank you. Okay. Uh,
4: Aunt Dorothy, would you like to share your trigger list? You know, at your age, there must be a ton of things on it. Just just give us a couple.
6: Oh, um, I don't have a trigger list. That's one of the blessings of getting older. You realize that most things aren't worth getting upset about at all. It's not that important. But I want to make clear, Chance, that I will still defend your right to be triggered, as you are the most important person in my life. Um, even more important than me? I mean, I am blood,
4: Aunt Dorothy. uh, This kid is just a passing fancy for you. Uh, I'm just waiting it out until you come to your senses. Nope. After a couple years, listen to me here, after a couple years of marriage to this little whippersnapper, I will be there for you when you have to pick up the pieces of your life. (laughs) You see, family will be with you forever. We don't use that two or three-year itch syndrome thingy uh, as an excuse to sample other flavors, so to speak. As your nephew, I will never cheat on you. And chance can say that, but you don't know what the
3: future holds. You do know I will not betray you.
8: You had me at hello.
3: Dorothy, you know I'll never cheat on you. Don't listen to him.
6: Oh, I never listen to Spud. No worries, babe. Okay, can I
7: now finish my list, please? So... Another thing that just makes me go wild, Spud, whenever you would say on this show how important it was to wear a mask in public and get vaccinated, well, it just reminded me of something that I remember from history class, like that William the Conqueror or King Olaf from, I think, Switzerland. No, wait, uh, was it Finland? Oh, anyway, oh, yeah, anyway I and my fellow patriots do not want a wannabe king is what i'm saying i am an adult and i know how to take
4: care of myself freedom okay feel free to put your head into the oven on preheat if you wish Uh, and and i was speaking to others out there then who might want to like hang around for a few more decades now can, can someone check and see if our next guest is ready to go yeah oh and Spud, I'm being told
7: your next guest, Judy Tunuda is holding for you. You know, I have heard of her. She is really famous, right? Is she an actor or a
4: singer? Hey, bud, what's your problem? Dude, she is the love goddess. Love goddess. And, of course, a very funny comedian, an actress, and musician, too.
6: I have wanted to get Judy
4: Tunuda on this
6: show for years. Oh, count me in as a big Judy Tunuda fan. I know Accordion Joe will be very upset he didn't get a chance to speak with Judy, as they both are world-class accordion players.
4: Yeah, I know. I mean, thank God we only use a, a recorded version of Joe now in the opening theme of the show. If, if this was the old TV show where we, you know, he was in the studio with us, he would take over the interview with her. As, you know, he, he always says there's this exclusive club of accordion players, and, and they're really tight. I remember what he what he did when we had Weird Al on the TV show. He basically kidnapped him, and I couldn't get in a word during the interview. Uh, j- just put Judy through.
7: Okay, uh, but I hope Accordion Joe isn't listening right now, as he will be very unhappy about not being involved. Who knows what he might do? The minimum probably is try to jam up our phone lines like he always does when he's upset. But now, uh, anyway, here she is. <music>
4: Say hello to the world's most famous person, the love goddess, Ms. Judy Tenuta. And I I didn't mess up the intro, did I? Because that was the blurb you sent us. I I mean, it's incumbent upon others to prove that what I just said was misinformation. For the record, I stand by it. Uh, Thank you, Spud. Yeah, no. uh, Yeah, you did a lovely introduction. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, go ahead.
8: I was going to say I've been to Seattle many times, but not recently, but I, I loved working there.
4: Right. Well, you know, we—I was thinking we can get to the funnier stuff in a bit in the interview, but but I wanted to ask you about a topic that you have shared with your fans and the public. Uh, you, you've been battling stage four ovarian cancer. J- just about everyone or someone in their family has been touched by cancer in some manner. Very few have been spared its devastating impact. So, can you can yeah can you share a bit about what you're how you're approaching it at this point?
8: know, as soon as I found out, just like anyone finding that kind of information, it's shocking and I didn't believe it. But I'm in the doctor's office with my boyfriend and, and, you know, I had a good cry and then I said, damn it, I'm going to kick cancer's ass. And the doctor said, yeah, and I'm going to help you do it. So so that was great. And uh, so I had a great I have two great doctors, actually. Well, they're all great um, doctors and nurses. And um, so, yeah, it, it, uh, they took great care of me. I had, I had chemo, and then I had an operation. And what's going on with my
4: voice? I'm losing my voice. Oh, it sounds fine. It sounds fine. Uh, Well, well, let's talk a bit about your video, Kicking Cancer's Ass. It's extremely funny, and you shot that during the lockdown, right?
8: Yes, of course. I shot it actually right uh, after Thanksgiving, and then we premiered it, um, I want to say New Year's Day on YouTube, so you can, by the way... I have a whole YouTube channel okay so you uh, can go to Judy Junah on YouTube and you know you should subscribe and you'll see 50 of my videos. It's a
4: lot of fun. Absolutely I highly recommend it. Um, so all right well well Judy let's let's take a look back at your youth growing up in Oak Park, Illinois. Now, you were one of nine kids in the family. Did you have to fight for the spotlight at family gatherings or did they just surrender oh, it my to God. you?
8: No. I didn't hear myself speak until I graduated high school. <laughs> and then I went to the University of Illinois and majored in theater. And I get on stage and I go, wow, once you're on stage, people really listen to you. So that kind of, you know, then I decided that's what I wanted to do. So, um, yeah, I went into theater. And then, of course, uh, I was tired of going to auditions because, you know, there's usually at least 30 other women at the same audition and i'm like oh i don't want
4: to deal with that i'm gonna do my own rest. so well yeah it's you, uh, let's just say i don't think anybody could ever steal your act let's put it that way um very unique um uh, yeah uh spud
7: what well, if i may jump in here from listening to this interview I think I may try what Judy did when she was breaking into comedy, you know, uh, to stand out from the others at the open mic uh, comedy nights that I perform at, I need to learn to play an instrument too. Now the accordion is way too difficult, but I was thinking maybe the kazoo or uh, possibly a tambourine could add something to my act. What do you think? I I would love to ask
4: Judy for her take. Uh, Just a sec, Judy. No way are you butting into this interview, and, well, and it won't matter what instrument you bring with you to those open-mic comedy nights. It's not going to help. You have to have
6: real material for an act, not just knock-knock jokes, man. Yeah, if I hear one more knock-knock joke from you, I'm going to lose my Mrs. Jarvitz, I always thought you loved my unique take on knock-knock jokes. Oh boy!
4: I- I'm surprised to hear you feel that way. I'd rather listen to that Best of Kenny G CD that's still sitting somewhere around the studio than your act, okay? Uh, Just zip it and let me get back to Judy. Okay, I have returned. Okay. So, when you first started out in in comedy clubs, was it difficult as a woman breaking in? I mean, like I said, your act was a a little different, so you stood out. Not many female comedians with an accordion on stage.
8: No. Um, well, I, you know, I started in the late, I started going on stage in Chicago in the late 70s and uh, early 80s. One of my first gigs, well, one of my first big gig was opening for Jay Leno in 1980 at uh, the Punchline in Atlanta. So that was great. You know, that was a lot of fun. You go, ah, Panoodle, let's go grocery shopping, you know so he was great and um, yeah so uh, you asked me was it difficult why well when I was a man uh, uh, let me think back to that (laughs) no (laughs) Um, uh, no I had a lot of fun I mean you know there's going to be challenges you know there's always going to be some smart aleck guy who's trying to put a hit on the guy who's trying to you know whatever and but no, in general, they were,
4: uh, you know, they were pretty, they were good. They were respectful. Okay, okay. Well, you know, speaking of the accordion, you, you've you worked a lot with Weird Al Yankovic over the years. He's been on our old TV show and now radio show, too, a couple times. I have to say, he is one of the nicest people in the entertainment industry. Am I wrong? I mean, is he actually a horrible monster? Am I missing it? <laughs>
8: No, you're right. Yeah, he's a great guy. I was in his. I was on. Uh, I was honored to be on his TV show. I played his uh, on the Weird Al and that came out in the '90s. And uh, in '97, '98, and 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 uh, yeah, I want to say '98. And I played his psychic friend, Madame Judy. So yeah, I had a lot of fun on that show. And then. Of course, uh, yeah, so that that was really great. And, of course, he lives here in L.A. just like I do. But, you know, he's on the road all the time. And, yeah, he's great.
4: You've, you've done a lot of video work with him, too, because you've, you've appeared with him. I know that.
8: Oh, yeah, that was great. I was in his video, a couple of his videos. Right. And he was in mine.
4: Oh, that's right, uh,
8: yeah. It was in my movie, Desperation Boulevard.
4: Which yeah. is available. People need to go find that, right?
8: Yeah, well, it's available. You can rent it on uh, Amazon Prime. And it's uh, two, two 90, $2.90 or something like that. I can afford that. And you can rent it for tw- 24 hours and just watch it. All right. A couple of times if you want.
4: All right. Yeah. Very cool. Um, well, let me close with my standard talk show host question. Judy Tanuda. What has been your most memorable moment in showbiz? Can you toss one out?
8: Oh, my God. Uh, I've had a lot. Well, I did this show called... Um, well, I I, I love doing my first special, you know, Women of the Night, mm-hmm. and then also uh, my um, my commercials. I was a spokesperson for Diet Dr. Pepper, but I have to say I opened the George Carlin. In the summer of 1987.
4: And that was great, you know, working with the Great George Clark. Heck yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know you got stuff to do, so I'm going to let you go, but we really, really appreciate you coming on our show. Um, Yeah, so could, could you please promise to come back in the future as we love you?
8: Oh, you're so sweet. Of course I will.
4: All right. There you got it. Okay, there you have it. The goddess of love, Ms. Judy Tenuda. This is the Spud Goodman
6: Show. That should be fun. I think I'll try that.
4: All right, back to the music. Here is a song by a duo from Calgary, Canada, Sydney York. This is a cut from their 2011 release, Apocalyptic Radio Cynic. Here is Dick and Jane.
0: Goodman radio show
8: You should hear this bud Goodman show You should hear this bud Goodman show This bud Goodman show radio 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 radio
7: Spud your last guest, Lenny Kaye, is on the line for you. Now, is he related to Danny Kaye, one of my mom's all-time favorite entertainers?
4: No, he's a rock icon. Uh, Lenny helped uh, like Patti Smith start her band uh, and, and also worked with a bunch of other New York City bands back in the day. He, he's seen it all over the years, let me tell you. And now he has a book out and I'm going to ask him about.
6: Hey, Patti Smith is one of the greats, and Lenny is a big part of her band for sure. Yeah, I'll admit to not knowing
7: a whole lot about that rock and roll music you two love so much. Most of it, it's just too darn loud with those screechy guitars. You know, my hearing has improved a lot since the pandemic started, and we couldn't have live bands here in the studio. Could you please not have live music on the show again?
4: Huge dick uh, well actually I hope to resume the live music on the show soon so no. your ears need to get back in shape uh, put Lenny through yeah, ok here he is welcome to the show musician, producer, columnist author and a whole bunch of other stuff but we don't have the time to get into all those titles uh, Lenny Kay thank you so much for coming on our show
11: well thank you for having me and thank you to Seattle because I tell you Seattle was the last chapter that I wrote for my book and I had a great moment in time. We were supposed to play Seattle just about two years ago uh, at the Paramount Theater with Patty Smith. Yes. And uh, our show got canceled because it was the first uh, outcroppings of the pandemic. Oh. And I went down to uh, First Avenue and there uh, was hanging at uh, my friend Chris's bar, Screwdriver. And, uh, you know, I was kind of you depressed because i was really looking forward to playing the paramount and uh, singing malfunctions in your heart not your hands yes and i said to chris well my show's canceled if you get me an amplifier i got a guitar i'll do a show for you and i went to his back room i think it's called the belltown yacht club yacht club and uh i i did a show for about a hundred people and uh I don't know. It provided the finale for for my book because the last chapter uh, is about Seattle in
4: 1991 or so. All right, Super Well Let's let's let me get the book title out. It's uh, titled "Lightning Striking: Ten Transformative Moments in Rock and Roll," and it's available at bookstores everywhere. Yeah, um, I wish we had time to go through all ten stories, but you know, only I have a bunch of other questions <laughs> I'm going to get to. So, uh, well, let me start with this. You you were involved in the New York music scene in the in the 1970s that gave the world some of the most unique and powerful rock ever created yeah it's not just my opinion Uh, the list of artists from that era are legendary can can you name some of the bands that you were around in their initial stage
11: well you know in CBGB uh, which was kind of the locus of this weird energy uh, a small out of the way Skid Row Bar that started having music Mm -hmm. uh, you know television the Ramones Talking Heads Blondie um, you know uh, a kind of roll call of, of, of a sound that helped change the way rock and roll was, was perceived and that to me is kind of what the book is about these legendary crossings of time and space where things happened that changed and evolved the music uh, it kind of tells the story of the history of rock and roll through its, its greatest locations and moments
4: in time okay well you know as everyone knows you know you you help uh patty smith form her band uh and obviously that's all history everyone's aware of but you know after she took a break i believe it was 1979 you joined the jim carroll band Uh, we had jim on our old cable tv show i was a i was a huge fan of his stuff uh how was that experience
11: well, you know, I've known, I knew Jim for a long time. Uh, in fact, he gave, he got in front of the band the first time when uh, the Patty Smith Group was playing San Diego in the 1970s, sometime. And uh, uh, our opening act uh, had a meltdown and 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 left. And so Jim said well i'll i'll get up
8: there
11: (laughs) and uh you know he read a poem and we kind of played behind him and it inspired him to form a band jim and i were like brothers i have to say we we really and and when i had a chance to be in his band quite unexpectedly it was it was fantastic he was a total performer uh, getting down on his knee really uh, the songs were so interesting the band was so rocking Uh, I really, I had a great time. We had stage divers. This was so, (laughs) He, he was great. And uh, I, I just, uh, you know, I just love Jim. Really, really a good soul. And I, I miss him every day.
4: Yeah, for sure. Catholic Boy has to be one of the all-time great albums, in my opinion. But, yeah, anyway, all right. Um, I well, agree. Yeah, you, you currently host a radio show on Little Steven's Underground Garage. That is basically the uh, that's the only music show uh, I listen to on Sirius. Do, do you get input or notes from Stephen? Or, or does he, he let all his people play whatever you want? Yeah. Uh,
11: no, I mean you know they have they have, a, they have a, a style. You know, uh, I, I like to say that it's the most expansive playlist in the serious uh, universe, uh, and it is. I mean, you can go from Howlin uh, Wolf to uh, a new garage band. To uh, you know, it's kind of centered around the, the sweet spot of the 60s and 70s, which kind of is my sweet spot. Um, it, 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 it's it's. You know, kind of formulated in terms of like nuggets, uh, the album that is now celebrating its 50th anniversary, uh, <laughs> amazingly enough, and will be, uh, honored, uh, in the fall with a five LP set from Rhino Records.
4: Oh, yeah. Um,
11: to, to celebrate its golden anniversary. Um, you know, his, his, his Stephen's spirit imbues the station and he loves rock and roll and uh he he is a great champion of it and i'm glad to be on it uh on monday on monday and tuesdays from 8 p.m eastern to the stroking of midnight
7: (laughs) all right what What? before i forget to ask you this about how many bottles of Pepto do you go through during an average week now? It seems like your intake on the show has increased significantly, and I'm getting a bit concerned. I'm sorry to interrupt this interview, but I know you'll ignore me
4: when the show's over. Hey, Lenny, I'll be right back. Look, this is a matter between me and my God, okay? Uh, and also Costco, okay? Because I, I buy Pepto by the case, I'm pretty sure they have records of all my purchases there over the years, but that is way too personal to ask someone. Do I ask you about sensitive stuff? Yes, you do.
7: All the time. You make jokes about my life on this show each week. and I wouldn't ask you, but my wife asked me about this last night, and I told her I really
4: had no idea, but your intake seems to be increasing for sure. Man, we're, we're coming off a, a freaking pandemic. I could have issues with a lot more things than Pepto-Bismol, all right? It's medicinal, and it also tastes pretty darn good. Well, let me finish up the interview. Okay, I'm back. Cool. All right, well, let me close with this, all right? As a rock music historian, Lenny, what is your... I know this is going to be make you uncomfortable. What is your most favorite rock song of all time? I know you have millions of them. I know you have millions, but can you whittle it down to one? Just toss one out.
11: Okay, uh, let's just see. Well, gosh. You know, wow.
4: While you're thinking, <laughs> let me just say, for me, it's either the Monster Mash or the Ramones were a Happy Family, so I just wanted those two. Oh,
11: well, you'd kind of like the be a more outro version. I mean, I don't know. Everyone at time asked me what my favorite song, I, I, and I don't even know if it's a rock song. Dead Eye Lady of the Lowlands by Bob Dylan. Okay. is just one of the most incredible things. But, you know, my, my favorite rock song, I like to say, is the one that's on my turntable uh, the quickest. And when I did the chapter on Seattle, uh, you know, the infamous grunge, yes. I, I really discovered a lot of bands that I, I, I hadn't really appreciated before as I was doing my research. Soundgarden. I mean, incredible, incredible, strange musicians, you know, very avant garde in a certain way. But my favorite song that I came up with was a song by Andrew Wood, who would be in Mother Love, yes. unfortunately, have a tragic end. Yes. But there was a song of his called, when he was in a group called Malfunction, called In Your Heart, Not Your Hands. And, you know, to be honest, that was my anthem. Of last year, you know, my favorite song keeps changing. But last year, whenever I wanted to turn up the volume to 11 and uh, wig out in my little music room, you know, in your heart, not your hands, and it's kind of a little mantra that I, I was really very special to me
4: all right very cool I'll have to check that one out again all right super well I know you gotta go so let me say again that your new book titled Lightning Striking 10 Transformative Moments in Rock and Roll is out and available at bookstores everywhere hey man we really appreciate you spending some time with us
11: well I'm so happy you know to be in Seattle like I said it provided the finale of my book that night at at, uh, the Screwdriver Bar Chris Jones you know, playing music in in the face of of an incoming pandemic and just asserting that we are alive, you're alive this moment, and that to me is what music is about.
4: All right. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Lenny K. Thank you,
11: my man. This is the spy Goodman
9: Show.
4: Bye how time flies you know to this point in the show i have refrained from identifying the list of what triggers me spud goodman but you know know, i guess this would be a good opportunity to you know just to share a few things and most of them would involve you gerald me I, i mean my full list is is pretty lengthy but there is a complete subsection just about you Uh, does
6: anyone want to hear a few? Oh,
3: not really, dear. Yeah, I'm thinking it would be very boring to go down that road. The combination of Gerald and your pet peeve list would put everyone to sleep.
7: You know, I would agree with that myself, Chance. No one wants to hear about me being unfairly blamed by Spud for imaginary things.
4: I vote no. Stop being a wink! Uh, Well, this is just another election loss that you're going to have to deal with then. Um, You know, at the top of my list of stuff that triggers me is when you throw your happy marriage in my face on this show. I get it. You have never been divorced. Congrats, you know, congratulations or whatever to you. But there is no need to pound that line about how deeply you two love each other so much.
2: Lauren, will you accept
11: this for us? Mm -hmm.
4: I mean, there are others out there, like, say, my Aunt Dorothy here, too. She's also not been that lucky in love. No need to rub it in, you know, how fortunate you are. Right, Aunt Dorothy?
6: Well, I won't deny many of my previous relationships have not ended well. I had a couple common-law marriages that didn't work out. But my soon-to-be husband, Chance, has given me a whole new view of love and the institution of marriage. I'm counting the days until I'm officially Mrs. Chance Morrison.
3: Uh, Oh, you're gonna take my name? My mom said it would be best that you retain your maiden name after the wedding. Something about protecting the Morrison name. Oh. I don't agree at all, but she is my mom.
6: What the hell, yo? Oh, okay. Well, I guess we should have discussed this before now. I just assumed you wanted me to change it, but I'll retain my name as is. No worries.
4: That's kind of cold, Chance. You know, if I was my aunt, I think I'd be a little pissed right now that I was banned from having your last name.
7: Uh, I hate to interrupt the conversation here, but Trevor on the board is saying we have a caller holding. Uh, I know you like to take at least one call from listeners per show, Spud, so
4: do I st- have him send it through? But but I have so many more things on my Gerald trigger list that I need to get to. Well. Uh, uh, does Trevor think the caller's interesting? I mean, we don't need some stiff who will be a buzzkill.
2: Yes!
3: I'd say take the call. I can't take here and you whine anymore, Spud. I was not whining. I was just being honest and hoping that by airing my
4: grievances on the air, Gerald might make some changes here on the show. Eh. Just just have Trevor put the caller through. Um, okay. I think you're on the air, caller. Uh, what's on your mind? On right now. Is the caller on the line? I can't even hear him.
1: I'm on right now? Yes. No, no. Uh, okay, wow. I thought I would just be on hold and stay there until the show was over. You know, I'm kind of pleasantly surprised.
4: Yeah, hey, caller, uh, uh, Collar, you, you used up most of the time we, we've we allotted for you already. Uh, do you have a question or comment and make it really quick?
1: Well, I got, I got a long list of things that trigger me. I mean, maybe it's because I'm getting older, but, you know, I tend to lose control of my emotions whenever someone tags me on Facebook and I'm bombarded by a bunch of dumb comments on that damn post, mostly from people I don't even know. Like, you know, I get kind of excited when I see I have notifications on Facebook, and after I check most of them out, they're never about me. They're just that stupid post that I'm tagged
4: on. It's all messed up. That is messed up, yo. Yeah, you know, I don't like getting tagged on those posts with a few hundred other people either. It's kind of presumptuous of someone to assume others have a pressing need to read their post. It's very me-me-me. Yeah, yeah, I have one friend, well, I mean, I have one friend who tags
1: me on everything he posts on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. And he's even doing it on that new right-wing place of it, Telegram.
7: Oh, I'm a big fan of that telegram. I just discovered it. Uh, Isn't that the only social media app that hasn't banned Trump? Well, there are a few others. Uh, Some of them, though, I will admit, are a bit too angry at times for me.
4: Oh, you think? His whole freaking base is seething 24-7. Those poor mega-victims. No collusion. Hey, can we get back to me? i haven't finished making my point because yeah well i think i think we've been more than generous with airtime in your case uh, i gotta wrap up the show now so but i want to No, seriously thank you for calling in no no can i quickly just get in a couple more things that trigger me i'll be brief well you I know swear. we would love to hear your list of stuff that bothers you but no can do someone dump the guy please you know I hear-
7: uh but before you end the show Could I ask if any others on this show are on your trigger list? Like, what about Chance? I
4: I know you have strong feelings about him. Only out of concern for my only living aunt here. Chance, you need to know, it's not personal. It's not personal,
8: Sonny.
4: It's strictly business.
3: Why would I care? You're just one more irrelevant boomer who won't let go of his long-expired 15 minutes of fame.
4: I've had more than fifteen minutes of fame over the last twenty-five years or so. But anyway, I got—I got to end this thing. I am Spud Goodman. Be all that you can be, and I mean that. God bless and ciao.
10: Bye
7: bye. Uh, uh, Chance, I think it's safe to assume that I am not the only staff member on
0: Spud's trigger list. The Spud Goodman Show was written and directed by Spud Goodman, executive producer Lori Madsen. Produced by David Brenneman of Rosedale Audio Productions. Engineered by Trevor Jastad and recorded at the facilities of NWCZ Radio. Associate producer T.J. Pites. Video director Jason W. Young of Random Whispers Studios. Production assistants Brian Martin and Chance Morrison. Original music by Mike Spotts and Tom Harmon. On-air talent Rob McGee, David Deere, Pam McGee, and Tom Nolan. Copyright 2022 Spud Goodman Productions. David Brenneman speaking.